Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast, brought to you by HarperCollins Publishers. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Hi, this is Virginia from the Library Love Fest marketing team. I recently had the honor of sitting down with actress and author Kate Mulgrew to talk about her book, How to Forget, A Daughter's Memoir. Ms. Mulgrew's acting career has spanned over four decades, portraying notable characters such as Captain Catherine Janeway on Star Trek Voyager, Mary Ryan on Ryan's Hope, and the tough-as-nails Red Reznikov on Orange is the New Black. Ms. Mulgrew's writing skills are as razor sharp as her acting skills. In How to Forget, Kate writes about being called home to care for her ailing parents. She reflects on each of their lives and the role they played in her own. She shares memories of her magical childhood growing up in Iowa, one of eight children in a large Irish Catholic family. This is an entirely relatable, universal story about family. You will likely recognize moments, passages, pages in this book that will relate to your own life. It's an honest and powerful memoir written in prose bordering on poetic. I laughed and cried and closed How to Forget, feeling equal parts spent and enriched. I don't remember the last time I was so affected by a book, specifically a memoir. Angela's Ashes by Frank McCourt comes to mind. So does Malachi McCourt's book, Singing My Hymn Song. Here's the interview. I do hope you'll pick up this book when it comes out on May 21st. Thank you. Hi, I'm Virginia Stanley, the Director of Library Marketing at HarperCollins Publishers. Uh, thank you for joining us in a special edition of Library Love Fest on Facebook Live. Joining me today is the one and only actress and author, Kate Mulgrew. Hello, Round of applause. Virginia. Thank you. Thank Hello. You. Thank you so much for coming today and talking to us about your new book. There's How nobody I'd rather talk to about it than you. Really? I think you really got it. I got it. Yeah. I love this book. I love this book so much. I cannot wait to talk to you about Thank this you. book. Thank I wanna, you. I want to stay here till three o'clock this afternoon and talk about this book. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. Line them up. Line them up. <laughs> okay. So let's first talk a second about your career. Just a little housekeeping. Right. Um, so your career spanned over more than four decades. Forty-five years. Forty-five I've years. Been a professional actress. Amazing. Yeah, it is a little bit amazing at this stage of the game. Yeah. I look back now and I think forty-five years, four decades plus. Wow, yeah. Well, I was shot into it by this creature, my mother. Yeah. Uh, helped, aided, and abetted. Did she? But shot into it. So at 17, I came to New York, and at 19, I became pro. And that was the... How does that happen? I mean, I know how If you want it, yeah. if you have the kind of ambition I had and the kind of laser-like focus I had, you can realize anything. And I wanted it badly. Yeah. For any number of reasons. Foremost among them, of course, I wanted to be an actress. But right behind that was my mother's wish for me to be an actress and her need for me to be an actress. So I was assisted by that mm. feeling. Mm. And uh, I just did not stop until I got it. Well, I mean, to have your mother's support, to have her encouragement, she's, she's <clears throat> literally like pushing you to do this. She's pushing, and he's pushing against I know. my father. Yeah. So it worked as a kind of, well, crucible's too hard to say, but it, 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 I was like a fire. I was sort of forged in that strange atmosphere where he was for, forever sort of uh, the negative, and she was the positive impulse. And they came to loggerheads about it on many occasions uh, with me present. And I think that sharpening on both sides is what made my intention and my ability as clear as it was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's great that at the end of that, that out of that came <clears throat> a person yourself who was uh, going to the, you know, following your heart. I mean, you could have easily been tamped down by that, but you weren't because you, because in addition to- You mean to, by my father. Yeah, <clears throat> but well, you had you, you had yourself. I think a lot of this part, just this part, a lot of people always say, oh, but it's lucky. You got lucky. And a part of me gets very upset about that. It gets my Irish of, did I get lucky or was I just really- really disciplined about it. The luck was my father's uh, toughness. 
the luck was that I had an old man who said, I don't think you're going to make it. Mm -hmm. I dare you. You know, he never saw me work. I know. He never did. I think he saw one movie, only because it was a, a fundraiser for something in Dubuque. And that in itself was a kind of uh, wonderful thing to work against and push against. I loved him for it, notwithstanding. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. I thought behind it was a lie. Of course, we can ascertain whatever we ascertain as young mm. children, but mm. I thought you're lying to me. You're putting me on and you're pushing me just to see. He used to say, you're going to break your neck out of the gate. I'd say, yeah, 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 Dad, watch me. Yeah. You keep an eye on me. We'll see how I'm going to break my neck. Right, right. So I, I needed that as much as I needed her yeah. encouragement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I completely understand what you're saying. And hey, listen, thank uh -huh. God for both of them for many reasons, for you to be here, to be who you are. And um, and out of that came Kate Mulgrew, uh, actress and author. Author. How to forget. This is a book that you will want to read from cover to cover, and I defy anybody to try and read this uh, in, in less than one sitting, because it is powerful, it is brave, and it's beautiful. Um, let's back up for, go ahead, what? I'm thanking you, that's oh. all. Was... Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> Thank you yeah. for writing it. Um, okay, so, all right, so the actress, the all of your work, your body of work, spanning over 40 years, um, and, um, plays and TVs and movies and your, your, your awards, which there are many, uh, including a Golden Satellite Award, Saturn Award, Obie Award, and nominated for a Golden Globe and an Emmy. Uh -huh. and an Emmy. Uh -huh. Amazing. Wonderful. And not surprised. So, today is International Women's Day. It is? It is. So March is Women's Month, and you write about that on your, on your Twitter feed and on your, 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 your Facebook page. <laughs> but today... <laughs> what he does. <laughs> Thank you, Amy. Yes, yes. But today's International uh, Women's Day. Fabulous. It's a day when women's achievements are celebrated throughout the world. And I want to celebrate you. I want to celebrate your work, not only as an actress, but as an accomplished author and somebody who has contributed uh, to people's entertainment, to their reading entertainment, to their viewing entertainment, you raise people up with your words, whether written by someone else or by yourself. And so first, let's have a, let's have a toast. Oh, Virginia, you're too much. Uh-uh. But I'm not going to say no to you, know. <laughs> a little Irish coffee for you, Ms. Mulgrew, and congratulations on this beautiful book, and I cannot wait to start getting into it with you. Thank you so much. Your words meant so much to me. It was lovely, oh. lovely. It was a review, and it was I meant splendid. It so we say slancha. We say slancha. 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 This is too much. Do I have a little... Mm, uh, yeah, mm, you're yes. Good. And good night. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Ooh, it's lovely. Nice job, Chris. Very lovely, Chris. You were very generous. So, he was. Dangerous, dangerous. <laughs> Chris Connolly, Chris Connolly, my beloved colleague, Chris Connolly, made the drinks and is sitting off camera and will be... Uh, Replenishing yeah. them, so I can only hope. <laughs> oh, yeah, Chris. There's more where that came from. Good. So, Why don't you talk a little bit, Chris, before we get started yes. about some housekeeping notes. Sounds great. Hi, this is Chris, the, dis the disembodied voice, coming to you live. So do ask questions, and of course we have a ton of love and uh, questions and comments coming in. Um, let's see, one, Victoria Sanders says, Ryan's Hope, she exclaims. She, I think she's a fan. Um, we also have a question from, bear with me, Donna Wilder. Uh, so obviously we have a lot of fans of Orange is the New Black and Star Trek yeah, commenting yeah. right now, but she says, you poignantly portrayed Emily in our town at the American Shakespeare Theater. Um, Wilder wrote, we can only be said to be alive in those moments when our hearts are conscious of our treasures. What treasures make you feel fully alive? When our hearts are full of those treasures. What treasures? Obviously, this is a metaphor. Um, friendships make me feel fully alive. They are without a burden. They are without uh, the need that uh, closer blood ties often infer. Um, intimate friendships are the most substantial, promising, sort of elegant, heartening, 
and true thing you can have in your life. Samuel Johnson said that. If you've got one great friend, you've got enough, and I do. So I'd say that foremost among everything. And then, of course, um, the expected, the ones that I love, my children, mm. my family, <coughs> these two, gone though they may be. And books. Books are the greatest treasure. Do you not agree, Virginia? I do agree. I do agree. And I love that you're, uh, you're, um, you're an amazing writer and you're an amazing reader. Uh, we talked about this a little bit. Um, yeah. And you grew up in a house of books. Yeah. I love your descriptions of your mother's mm -hmm. books coming home from the library with the burlap bag. I'd go down with her to the library. You know, that was sacred, special. And I'd haunt those stalls and she'd be done. She'd have that burlap bag, and I'd watch it over a two-week period as it depleted. And books then were scattered everywhere. And her love for uh, books was, was, was so great that obviously it affected all of us. Yeah. And at a very young age, I was reading on a pretty high level. And that was her wish, <laughs> and uh, it came true. I don't know if it applies to all of us, but most of us love, love to read. I think you said your youngest sister is a... Voracious reader. Yeah. Voracious, yeah. So just eat anything Jenny. up with her eyes, yeah. Jenny of the Smalls. Jenny, she's one of the Smalls. <laughs> okay, so can we, all right, so let's back up. There's so much to talk about. We are gonna need a lot of days, but okay. Let's back up a little bit more about the female, the strong female characters that you played, um, Captain Janeway and Mary Ryan and Red. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> International Women's Day, Kate Mulgrew, champion of women, you have a strong woman in your in your family. I found your mother to be a very strong female character person in your life. When this book opens up, you you dedicate the book to your mom mm -hmm. and my father and your my father. Siblings. Mm -hmm. Yes, and uh, I, f I so the book is divided into two parts. Mm -hmm. First, you talk about your dad, mm -hmm. then your mom. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about um, well? It's Born with Teeth, beautiful book. Publishers Weekly gave that a starred review, said it was a gem of a memoir. Uh, we did not publish it. Publish this one. <laughs> um, <laughs> that said, uh, your writing chops are as accomplished as your award-winning acting. Could not agree more because you are such a beautiful writer. There are passages throughout this book that I have underlined and tagged because they're, they're, to me, they're stories within stories. They're, they're so poetic and beautiful and I just feel like you never took a shortcut. You never took a shortcut with this book. Everything is so unique. Those words are, are chained together because they're meant to be together. Do you feel that way? I mean, do you, I mean how hard? Well, I tried. Yeah. I was in Ireland. For, the, for most of the writing of this book. I'd been given a beautiful house by a very generous person on the shores of Loch Corrib, which is arguably one of the most beautiful lakes in Europe. I was 40 feet from the shore and the swans and the mist and the oh, divine, but it was lonely. It was almost excruciatingly lonely. I was in such a remote area and in Ireland in winter time, it rains every day. And it's dark for most of the day. You get a pocket of sun between about 10 and 2. And then it starts to go into the gray area and then dark by 3.30. So I get this terrible chill of really overwhelming loneliness in that huge, magnificent house. I'd light a fire, start a little dinner, pour a glass of wine, and cry. And I think maybe that's why it is what it is. The more lyrical passages come from that place, which I did not tap into in Born With Teeth, which is a far more linear and, I mean, I'm not going to say anything of a negative nature, but it was a freshman effort. And to me, it speaks of a freshman effort. This, although only a sophomore effort, I determined to find the truth and not to write if I couldn't find it. So the loneliness uh, really uh, worked as a kind of impetus. And I would lie awake most nights in that big bed with the rain and the March hares and the red foxes and the swans like little beacons shining in the lake. And I think to myself, who were they? 
and what are you want what do you really want to say about them and i realized that i wanted to say how to forget that's when the title came to me i wanted to write about how i felt that they had lost themselves in life hmm. and that that's what actually shaped a great part of myself but out of uh, that loneliness in Ireland came the, the more near lyrical mm -hmm. uh, nature of the writing mm -hmm. because uh, I would write it at night in the bed when I wasn't sleeping and get up and, and put it down. And I would absolutely delete anything that I did not consider to be exactly what I, what I had intended. So a lot of stuff was deleted. Wow. And then that's a crushing thing in Virginia mm. because you're alone. I didn't have anybody to go to. My boyfriend wasn't there. I was really, really alone. So there's nobody to talk to about the fact that I'm deleting all of this. And uh, it was scary. But then they would emerge. I suppose it's like, it is a bit like giving birth. It would emerge. And it would be there. And it would be right. But it would have come through a long, dark passage. And that's what I think I loved so much. And you as an Irish woman will understand that, but the rest of the world <laughs> Yes, I do understand it. Yeah. I do understand. Well, so why don't you set the scene and and tell people what what happens in the beginning of the book? Your well, the book is in two parts. Mm -hmm. Part one and part two. Part one is about my father and part two about my mother. And uh, I have, uh, as the central theme of both parts, made it about the deaths of my parents. Mm -hmm when I was called to my father's bedside when I'd been told he'd had cancer. My brother Joe called me. I was on tour in West Palm Beach on, uh, in a one-woman play called Tea at Five. and had delighted that the tour was interrupted. But I, I went home because, as I say in the book, I had missed the, the funeral of my beloved sister Tessie. Yeah. Because my father uh, not only discouraged it, but said she'll be she'll be buried in, in the ground before you can get home. You didn't have a choice. No, but I did. I could have gotten on that plane. I had my little sister with me. I could have, but I didn't because he said that. And also I had a professional obligation to the play I was in at, uh, at the Shakespeare Festival. But at any rate, I determined in this new, this play that I was doing at the time, T5, that I would not do such a thing again. And when I learned through my brother that my father was terminally ill, I did stop the tour. And I said to the producers, I'm sorry, put on the stand in or shut it down for a few days. I'm not going to miss his death. Yeah. I'm going. And I went. And it was in the, those two or three weeks, less than three, I think, uh, that I shared with my father things that had never been spoken of before on the night or on the day at the clinic when I, we were told that he would, it was terminal and it was everywhere. It was metastatic, it was systemic, yeah. a tumor on the brainstem. And my father was of course so inimitably and incomparably himself when the doctor said, well, we can buy a little time, Tom, you know, we can do the, we can follow protocol, give you some chemo, give you some radiation. Wait a minute, pal. What do you mean by a little time? A little time when somebody's talking about the end of your life, you assume is going to be at least six months, if not a year, right? Because we're so fulsome about time. Uh, the doctor said, I, I think that we can buy you um, a couple of weeks, maybe a month. <laughs> he laughed, my father. Kitten, get the coat. Thank you, honey. Doctor, it's been lovely chatting with you, but I don't think I'm going to see you again, Val. And that was it. Yeah. We went home. I said, Dad, would you like a drink? He said, now you're talking my lingo. My brother left, and my father and I sat in front of the fire in the TV room <laughs> all night. Well, until he was exhausted, which was probably midnight. I think we finished a bottle of pop-off. <laughs> and I asked him those questions, which had been forbidden to myself, I had thought theretofore. And he answered them. And the most uh, telling, of course, was when I said, are you afraid? Because he looked like he might be a little afraid. I said, are you feeling that fear? 
He said, are you talking about death? I said, yeah. He said, uh, after some consideration, I don't fear death, but I don't welcome it either. So completely and perfectly, my father. This is how he approached his life. He said, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask your assistance, kitten. I walked him up to bed. There was no way I was going to be able to undress him. That was, got him down. And his last words to me that were coherent were, I want to thank you for everything you've done for this family. And I just, I just was stunned by that. What a formal goodbye. What a very sort of polite way to say, see you, kid. And that, too, is just like my family. They have this strange formality. So the whole thing was extraordinary. But when he said that to you, did you feel, did you feel like um, that you hadn't known how much, you didn't know how much he felt? How strongly he felt about your being there for the, you know what I mean? Because yes, he no. wasn't forthcoming at all. No, he was never forthcoming about that. I was, uh, I was surprised, put back on my heels, and shocked by this admission, this disclosure, mm. this goodbye. He could have said, I know I've been tough on you. <laughs> but I just want you to know that I've always loved you very much. No, thank you for everything you've done for this family. That was it. Well, you got that. I got that. Yeah. I read in that, Virginia, uh, his love. Yeah, for sure. His stoicism and his imperative need not to show his fear mm -hmm. or in any way... Uh, any kind of, uh, of cowardice at the end. He was brave. So it was a little bit like, yeah, see it, baby. I found your father to be outwardly uh, stoic. Yes. Kind of tough, kind of gruff. But I also thought he was such a ten, I found that he was tender hearted. The writings, can you talk about the writings that he that you found that he would write to your mother? What when started, he wooed the, well, that's what started the book. Right. After my father's death, and I think my mother's, when we had all reconciled, the siblings went through all kinds of madness. Yeah. But we had reconciled, and we'd gone back to our place of, of our childhood called Derby Grange. And we rifled through everything. Up in the attic were boxes of stuff that my mother had kept. And uh, Joe had found this uh, portfolio called The World's Greatest Masterpieces with a picture of Schubert on cover or something. <laughs> so it was all musical masterpieces, right? But inside, she'd ripped out all of those pages. I love her. And replaced them with the poems of Tom Mulgrew. So my father had written her these letters, letters and poems. And are, there are no copies of any letters that my mother may have sent to my father. Because I think, in fact, she did not. I think the preponderance of the courtship was his. The wooing was his, and boy, was it ardent. Between those lines, which are sort of masterfully crafted to think, to make us think that it's witty and it's, you know, tongue in cheek, is in fact his unspeakable yearning to capture this woman. Yeah. And I gotta get her. I gotta get her. You know, she was of a different place than my father. Upper Montclair, New Jersey, and then New York City, Boston, Jack Kennedy, the Kennedys, that whole life. They met in Chicago, but she was there with Jack as his private uh, secretary, in quotes. Um, and they met at Mass, and my father had come from Dubuque, Iowa, and uh, he was working in Chicago, and she said, I'm not going to date you. I don't date short men. <laughs> and when the uh, senatorial campaign was over and she'd gone back to Boston, her best friends, Jean Kennedy Smith and Effie Harris, both married within six months of each other, leaving her this sort of solitary part of the triumvirate, discarded. And I imagined her in her little garret apartment in Boston, doing her little watercolors and thinking, I'm gonna be an old maid. Yeah, I'm not crying, I'm just getting a Kleenex. And um, 
in those days, we're talking about the early 50s, you didn't want to be an old maid. Mm -hmm. Not if you're an Irish Catholic girl with a very good pedigree, which she had. Yeah. Not good enough for perhaps a Jack Kennedy, but, but plenty good for, for many men. And my mother was charming, dazzling, really smart, witty, great-looking creature. So she gave it some thought. She picked up the phone and she called my father. She hadn't really talked to him in six months. She said, if you're still interested, I'll marry you. That's amazing. <laughs> and he got on the next plane. <laughs> and the rest, as they say, is history. And history is sitting and right here. here you are. That's Good exactly. thing they got married. Yeah, 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 indeed. Kate Mulgrew. Wow. That's, you know, so, okay. So I think we've, we've sort of got this picture of your dad. Let's talk about your mom. So you've, you've gone home to help with your father. Yeah. Now, I think that you need to tell everyone what's going on with your Set mom. Set the scene. Set the scene. My mother had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Uh, I think, think when my father died, she, she was well into it, maybe the third year, because she was able to walk and she was able to talk, albeit uh, in a very, very disjointed slash demented fashion. Her last words to my father after we took her into the room guided her into the room and made her sit down next to him and I said mother this is your husband mm -hmm. Tom and the vacant sort of scattered look and you have to say goodbye mom it's time to say goodbye to your husband and then when I sort of helped her to focus which was absurd because she couldn't focus she looked at him and the expression was not amused or bemused it was who's this hmm. and she leaned forward and she did this adios el señor because that's what she heard lucy sure. who was her caretaker caregiver saying all the time right. in hmm. spanish so there was a moment of silence and Room. We were all in there. My niece is here, so she remembers this, I think. Everybody was in there. All the siblings, all our uh, significant others, and all the grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Adios, el señor. So she did not know him when he died. He did not know her. Uh, they did not get closure. I write about that at the end. That was the hardest thing for me to write. What the hell? Yeah. After 50 years of marriage, to not know one another and to not even be able to say, holding a hand or stroking a cheek, goodbye, loved you. They didn't understand anything. They couldn't. He died in complete, even abject solitude, I'd mm. say. Mm. Of course, the cancer took him into a coma, but I've often wondered if it did. If, in fact, my father didn't spend that last week kind of going, I'm just going to listen to all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, right. But it was mm. uh, heartbreaking for any number of reasons. Sure. Foremost among them, I think if you live 50 years with somebody and bear that somebody eight children, two of whom die, yeah. it would be very nice to look them in the eye and say, well, we took that adventure together. And right. I thank you. Yeah. And with any luck, I'll see you on the other side. God was a big part of their early years and then God was dropped. God was dropped. For Baruch Spinoza. Well, <laughs> you, you know, you can sort of understand why God would be dropped. She right? kept looking, she kept looking frantically. It was Victor Frankl, it was Teilhard de Chardin, it was Thomas Merton. It was looking, it was looking, yeah. it was Spinoza. Yeah. I mean, we used to sit in mass. For years my father demanded, insisted that we still go to mass at the country church, which was called Resurrection. All farmers, you know, mm. farmers and their wives, their kids, all very staunch, never examining the religion itself too far, but professional Catholics. <laughs> and my mother would come in and, you know, they'd flank it, my father at one end, she at the other, and in between all of us, like strange little dominoes in any shape and size. She'd open her um, coffee, her 
thing of coffee. She'd pour herself a cup of coffee, and out would come Baruch Spinoza. <laughs> so amazing that she oh, no, did the that. The priest is right there. The name <laughs> She's of the father reading. The son. My mother's reading Spinoza. Oh, he was exiled <laughs> from the Orthodox community. <laughs> I, but I mean, I, I remember sitting in the pew, kind of shrinking. Right. <laughs> My father pretending that everything was all right. Right, right, right. So finally, one day, I heard her just say to him, Tom, I'm just not going anymore. This is absurd. Yeah. Yeah. I don't buy it. Right. And then I think shortly thereafter, he stopped too. Interesting. But uh, the die was cast. I, I know I know it now. What do you mean? We had been formed as Catholics. Ah, I see. Okay, gotcha. Each of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, Catholic stamp was on me. Yeah. Still is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still is on you, too. I oh, can sure. see it. Good God. I don't see the ashes. You didn't take them. You don't go. My mother's going to watch this later, so we'll just say okay, I all right. an hour. <laughs> you took a shower. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> um, so, okay, so your mom, <clears throat> for all intents and purposes, is, is there when your father is, he predeceases her. Um, I I found I found them both fascinating. I found her utterly charming and brilliant. I mean, she's this artist. She's this, she loves music. She's she's a deep thinker. This woman, and she's funny. I mean, I think it's important to to say here that this is a this is a universal story. This is this is anybody who's got a family, anybody who has aging parents or or a parental figure. If you're a if you're a solo child or one of eight or nine or ten, whatever you are, and we'll get into that in a second. But I just felt like th I feel like this book resonates with with anybody. I feel like anybody can read this book and glean many things from it. Um, it's not prescriptive, but it's, I feel like it's a pal along your like you're 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 with somebody who's you know, you're walking the same rope. Do you know what I mean? Like there's somebody there who's telling you their story and yet there's so there are so many relatable moments in the book passages and sentences that are so beautiful that it's like you can there's so much you can get from this on many many levels um and i i love the humor in it which is my my point is that this is yes this is sad and i'm not for sure this is these are sad moments there are also great moments of levity it's not altogether sad no they were not altogether no. sad. in fact they were not sad at all well she's so funny and so was he. <laughs> yeah. My father was witty and fast, but she was, in her eccentricity, just sort of alarmingly funny. <laughs> Do you know, it was just a oh, mother. <laughs> it was just a constant sort of source, <laughs> source of amusement. Can you talk about when she wants to go and look at some of the houses and the new development? Derby Grange is... Well, this was when she must have been in her second year. Yeah. So she was ambulatory. <laughs> she was mobile. And um, I, we were taking a walk, which we love to do, down the gravel road. Uh, in the part of the country, uh, countryside where we lived. And for the longest time, the nearest neighbor was a quarter of a mile down the road, the Bright Box. But then these cookie-cutter houses yeah. sprouted up like an archipelago of disaster. <laughs> but we had to pretend that it was okay, right? But we, we, we had nothing but disdain and contempt for them. And so even in her dementia, she would say, Oh, kitten, let's go visit that house. I said, Mother, you went with them. You know, the house that you have disdained for since its very inception. No, I want to go. Let's go. I said, okay. You know, I just adored her. I'd I have know. done anything for her, and I did I know. do anything for her. So we went up to the house, and I rang the bell. Hi. I said, hi, I'm Kate Mulgrew, and this is my mother, Joan, and we were out for a walk. And, you know, she's always wanted to see her house. <laughs> she would love to see Oh, well then, and I saw it in her eyes. She clocked it. Smart woman. She saw that my mother was not well. She saw what I was asking without putting too fine a point on it. Well, come on in then. Sure. Sure, you can have a look. <laughs> it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. I've never seen anything so so clean in my life. <laughs> it was dazzlingly clean, right? I mean, Derby Grange is just a mess. This house was dazzling. White pile carpets, right? and a big industrial vacuum cleaner, so I knew it was cleaning day. <laughs> and my mother sort of walked in and stood at the precipice of the stairs overlooking the living room, and she went, dazzling. <laughs> I said, I think she'd like a tour of your house. <laughs> so we went from room to room, and this woman was most accommodating, you know, rooms room. And then my mother said, no, 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 the bedrooms. I said, Angie, 
<laughs> my mother would love. In fact, she's mentioned to this before. Love to see the bedrooms. Well, that face changed mm -hmm. like I'd slapped her. Yeah. Because this is, we're talking Dumb. about middle class Iowa. You know what I'm talking about? You can be gracious so far. Yeah. And then that's the end of it. Yeah. These are the bedrooms now. Oh, no, 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 no. My husband Gary's got his stuff in there, and oh, my God, he'd kill me. He'd have me. I said, Mom, you can't see the bedrooms. She was immediately upset. Yeah. So we went through the, you know, kitchen, which was so white. I could hardly see. You were blinded by it. And on the counter was a wonderful plate of freshly baked cookies. I thought, did that woman somehow anticipate... What, you know, yeah. prescience she had. Did, did she see my mother and myself walking down the lane? Did she anticipate this? And I said, freshly baked cookies? What do you say, Mom? And my mother said, if you like cookies. <laughs> and I said, my mother hates cookies. <laughs> I said, oh, my God. I said, how lovely. And she said, oh, yeah. I bake near every day. I said, you do? Okay. Yeah, I do, because the kids come home and they're hungry. <laughs> And my mother went, oh, it's, I need to go. We have to go. <laughs> I mean, the tour was becoming increasingly <laughs> difficult for her to sort of process yeah. Yeah. fresh cookies, clean house. And uh, we got into the garage, which had two cars in it, which further put my mother sort of into this world of cars in a garage. What is this? And she said to the woman, does it open? And the woman went, oh, sure it does. Bing. And my mother walked out and went, Life! <laughs> sure. You know, so this is so yeah. like my mother. Right. Yes, I want that tour, but yeah. the tour was increasingly a tour through hell, right? What, what I liked about that part, too, was that in the beginning when she said to you, let's go look at those houses, and you're like, well, we can't really do that. And she said to you, you could just tell them. Yeah, she, she said, was oh, there. no, kitten, kitten, I have it. <laughs> what? She said, you say. That I want to do it because I'm a little <laughs> so <laughs> mother. Amazing. Oh, this is too weird. I, yeah. I know, but but I I, God, I just loved her and I loved her quotes. I put I wrote some of them down where she would say to your sister or anyone of your well the kids, one about my the one to my sister is the best one. Yes, you, you were right. lucky to be born on whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, when Jenny would complain, she whirl she'd turn on my little baby sister and say, "You should be thankful." You were born in wedlock, you're an American citizen, and you live on dry land. <laughs> Can you see my little sister? But I just wanted an apple. <laughs> or when she says, I love all of you, but I but I like some of you better than others. You know who you are. You know who you are. <laughs> I love, love, love I mean, her. It was devastating. Of course. Yeah, yeah, I love her too. Oh my God. Well, you guys had an amazing A Very unusual relationship. Yeah, yeah. And I think what is revealed in part too, is that uh, I write about this. It's difficult, but it's true. A day came when I was about 14, I think. A lot of things were going on in my mother's life, not least among them. I think, well, this was before Tessie, but um, a lot of things were going on. And she was at her station at the kitchen table. I joined her, and we had coffee. She looked at me. You know, kitten, I didn't have a mother. I said, I know, I know. She said, no, no, you don't, you don't know. Um, when you don't have a mother, you don't really have a chance. So ever since I was of conscious age, four, five, I've recognized this unfathomable gap in my life. I can't bridge it. I don't have a mother. I can't find her because she's dead. She died in childbirth. And I'm going to long for her ceaselessly until the day I die. And I've been thinking, you should be my mother. I started to laugh. She said, no, 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 I'm not kidding. You should be my mother because you have all of the traits of a good mother that I don't have. You're strong, you're sturdy, you're capable, and you're kind. 
So why don't we just keep this between us? But from now on, you'll be my mother. And I agreed. And I guess that's what came to pass. Insofar as these deeply Freudian things can come to pass. Right. It did. Yeah. I looked after her then, from that moment until the day she died. You were you were like her mother. You really were. Yeah, I guess I was. <clears throat> you were friends. You were her daughter. It seemed like you were her daughter, then you were her friend and confidant, and then you were her mother. Right. Yeah. That's... When I started, to, when I became professional and started to make money, I mean, that was the beginning of the end, because I would sent her a plane ticket, sent mm. her money, and she was gone. Yeah, she, yeah. And that also began that difficult conflict between my parents because yeah. he didn't want her to go as often as she went. But he didn't have a leg to stand on because my mother would say, what's your argument? Kitten's paying for everything. <laughs> I don't think that pleased my father. Yeah. But she came. She came to me wherever I was in the world, and she stayed with me. And we took uh, that leg of the adventure together. Yeah, it was pretty remarkable. It sounded wonderful. What a what a wonderful gift you were able to give her, because she it did seem like she was sort of tied there by your father. And then when you were able to do well, that, she was tied because she was his wife and he was penurious. Yeah, you know that Irish thing sometimes cheap. He wouldn't give her the money to go. That's crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. I know, but I did. But good and good I for you. Did. I love. I love when she would say things like when you when you'd be in New York and you'd the th you, you the three of you you the two of you and maybe your sister or somebody would be walking down the street. <laughs> She'd say, "Walking three abreast is for losers." It's for losers. So we never walked three abreast. <laughs> that was for losers. Coke. You're, I don't have drink Coke. Coke is for losers. Is I mean, it was that. I think we're for losers. We're very, very specific. But then she would disappear on these walks that I'd be having in New York with her. Uh, maybe with my brother Sam or with my sister Jenny. And we'd find her a block away. And she would always be engaged in conversation with a man, usually a black man. She loved black men. And she would say to them, same question, why do you love your mother so much? Then I'd catch her two blocks uh, later saying to a white man, why do you think black men love their mothers more than white men? It's time to go, Mom. It's time to go and have a little something. Mom, it's yeah. time to go. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about, about Derby Grange and your siblings. Can we do that? Sure. Okay. So, so your home sounded so wild and free. Can you describe Derby Grange and this, this, this wonderful, seemingly wonderful childhood that you had, all your siblings running free, and then <laughs> when things sort of changed, and then I'd love you to read a passage. It was magical. Mm. For a long time it was magical. My father found this <clears throat> old Georgian house. It was a, somebody else's summer house, born in 1850, 1860, on 50 acres of land. And it was ideal to raise a family. So we left Langworthy Avenue, the three of us who were already in the world, and went out to Derby Grange. And we did run amok. And I think there was absolutely no supervision of any kind. Uh, I don't remember that we were called to meet. Well, we certainly didn't have any structured meals. Breakfast was never served. I, don't, I didn't even know how to spell breakfast until I came to New York. Oh, you have breakfast, you have a bagel, you have a thing. No, no breakfast, no lunch, dinner which was usually chicken the size of this <laughs> thing for 10 people. Um, but there was great, great freedom in the outdoors. And uh, this went on for some time until my sister, Tessie, uh, was diagnosed with, with cancer. She had a brain tumor, astrocytoma. And um, they told her at the Mayo Clinic that uh, it was... Uh, inoperable and they told her it would probably take about a year maybe longer so my parents weighed their options I think at the Mayo Clinic I remember because they were gone with her for a good while and we knew that was the beginning of terror in the house it settles very quietly it's like dust where are they where's Tessie Now well, she's going to die. They weighed their options, which were chemo and radiation, or here's a two-year supply of morphine, and take her home. And that's what they elected to do. 
which I think was just very hard on my very youngest uh, brother and sister, Sam and Jenny, because they had to bear witness to this. And they were so in need of her love and attention, but it all went to Tess. And home she came, and very slowly, uh, she decayed in front of our eyes. She became deaf, dumb, blind, and paralyzed by the time she died. And her last communication to me, I was sobbing so hard in that room. This is gonna sound absolutely appalling, and please forgive me, but it's true. She smoked, mm. and we let her smoke, and she smoked old gold. And you'd put one in her little hand, beautiful, beautiful hands, light it. But she couldn't see, she couldn't, she would take it, blow out the smoke, and then she would draw with it in the air what she was trying to say to you. And she drew for me when I said, I, I have to go now, sweetie, I've got to go back to New York. I knew it, you know, I just knew it. This is hard, sorry. Yeah. And she drew, astoundingly. I mean, she must have heard it all her life from my mother. She must have somehow, I don't know where it went inside of her, but it came out to me, written in the air, you will be with me in paradise. And that's the last time I saw my sister. <laughs> and that changed everything. Yeah. Nothing was ever again the same. It was the second death. Maggie died when she was a baby. But this one we adored. Strong, vital, full of life, funny, fun. Tess. And uh, to lose her was fractured the family. So from then on, it was a kind of dance. Mm -hmm. And then when mother got sick with Alzheimer's, it was like somebody took a sledgehammer to what was left of our levity and left of our vitality and just went right, right. And that was, uh, that was, I also write about this. When we stopped laughing, we stopped everything. Because mm -hmm. we were a family that knew how to laugh through it all. Yeah. That's what you did. Through grief, through pain, through sadness. Teasing and laughing, wild laughter. But I'd say when she died, it really set us back on our heels. And then when mother was afflicted with Alzheimer's, it just took it out of us. Mm -hmm. So that f forever after, I won't say the laughter is strained, but it wasn't the same. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you laugh through a broken heart, it's very different than laughing freely. And that was gone. And that is a true story of Alzheimer's. But I'm not altogether sure, and this is another conversation for another day, Virginia, that my mother's Alzheimer's was not a, uh, a byproduct of the afflictions that led to the Alzheimer's, the loss of two daughters, those early migraines, which were so devastating. And I assisted her in this. I remember very clearly, eight, nine, ten, yeah. with the wet washcloth and the ginger ale and the throwing up, the miscarriages, mm -hmm. the many miscarriages. Yeah. Of course, you give her half a beer and she had 18 miscarriages, but I know she had at least four because I had to bear witness as she flushed the fetus down the toilet right. and baptized it. Then to the bedroom and then to the migraine and then downstairs. And I mean, the blood pools somewhere, doesn't it? It does. Where does this go? So when she was diagnosed, some, it's like a, it dropped in me. I thought, oh, of course. Mm -hmm. She has been hit yeah. so yeah, many yeah, yeah. times in yeah. the head. Yeah. This is what's happened. I understand that. I can, I, when I read that part, I thought, Oh yeah, I, I get that. And do you think maybe one day neuroscience will, will credit this? I would hope so. Neurology. I hope, yeah. I it's, think that, that you can't take so many. Right. Sorrows. It's so much for a heart and a and yeah. for a heart and a head. Yeah. For a soul, right? To to take and to not somehow down the road get that back. I don't know, but And she was not a demonstrative woman. So mm. she never wept. Never wept. Never threw her arms around us. None of that stuff. Mm.
it was held in. Yeah. Well, your parents loved you, but it was you had to you had to you had to know that you had to see it, and you did find it because it is so clear in the pages of these book of this book. It is so so clear. It's there. I know they loved there. me. Yeah. And they know they knew that I loved them. Yeah. Surely they knew. Oh yes. It's it's it's, it's an extraordinary book. How are we doing on time? We have ten more minutes. Oh boy! Really, that flew. That did fly. Wow! Um, and just do you to want remind, to take some questions yeah. from the people? We can do that. And just to remind viewers, uh, you can pre-order How to Forget Now online or in person at your favorite retailer or independent bookstore. And if you're a librarian or working in a public library, we hope you'll consider the book when, when you're voting for library reads. Those votes are due April 1st. Um, and also, this book will be available in audio, read by Kate, of course, and an ebook. Um, we have so many comments, um, people who read your previous book who were inspired. We had one commenter who actually got into healthcare uh, for Alzheimer's patients after reading your book. So some significant impacts there. Um, Martine asks, has the disease of your parent changed you? Do you enjoy life more? Does it give you different perspectives on things? You've kind of discussed that, but if you would like to touch upon it a little bit more. Um, and also, um, Adam Crow says, I, like many, connect strongly with your relationship with your mother. What would you say to her today if, you, if she could sit down next to you? Oh, these questions are always so difficult because it's just a, a fantasy, isn't it? Yeah. What would I say to her? I'd say, I love you. Thank you. Um, Justine asks, is this book a part two to Born with Teeth or is it totally different? Uh, I loved Born with Teeth and I will be making a trip to Welland on release date to get it. Thank you to Justine for that. And no, it's, this is not a, a, a sequel to Born with Teeth. This is uh, a quite singular. Uh, this is about something altogether different, albeit still within the family. Born with Teeth was a sort of linear uh, examination of my life as <laughs> as an actress. Uh, this is the story of how I was shaped and by whom I was shaped. Yvonne asks, is the wisdom you put in your book regarding your parents only possible to get after they've passed away? I'd like to put this wisdom into practice with my own parents who are still alive. Well, then do. Do. And don't. Hesitate. Time's a wasting. If they're alive and they're there, put your arms around them. Tell them that you love them. I mean, live it. I, I lived it, so I'm not. I'm not. I don't have no regrets about how I loved them. I loved them deeply. So, uh, but if if there are people out there who are having some hesitation about how to love their parents, stop hesitating. Go to them immediately and just say, "I love you." Let's get down to it. Thank you. Um, let's see here. God, there's there's so much love for, of course, your acting career, all your various plays, uh, <laughs> films, and television shows. Um, Claudia asks, you write some about something very personal, like your first time with Frank O'Connor. Do you regret that moment? Would you do something different if you had the chance? The loss of my virginity. Would I do something different? <laughs> I still have it. <laughs> um, uh, no, I wouldn't do anything differently. Uh, you know, that, that chapter, which is interesting to write, because that one came all of a piece. That memory is intact. Um, that was the truth. It was not an evil thing, but it was probably inevitable. And I start the chapter by saying, I went willingly enough. And then I staggered out into the snow and fell to my knees and prayed to the Virgin Mary to restore my virginity. Next question. <laughs> All right. We have one from Nora Rawlinson, our good friend Nora Rawlinson, and she just asks if or how your acting career influences your writing, or has it? I suppose it might, insofar as both emanate from the same creative center. I'm a creative person, but I think that they are quite disparate. Um, the writing process is very solitary and strictly my own until it comes to this part, which is then public and social and publicity and all that. But um, they're entirely different beasts. And I think that's why I'm so thrilled to uh, have stumbled across this thing that I love at this 
chapter in my life. Let's see here. Okay, uh, Debbie asks, well, she says, Happy International Women's Day. After examining the dynamics of the relationship between your parents, have you discovered the ways in which their relationship has impacted your own romantic relationships? Uh, she's uh, coming from Madison, Wisconsin. She she's go a good there. Midwestern girl, <laughs> talking to another good Midwestern <laughs> girl. Um, and a very smart girl, too, aren't you? Uh, that's astute. Uh, of course, it impacts them, informs them. Um, and it's not very subtle. Uh, my choices in men were not so great initially, and they got better. Uh, the further uh, I, I, I examined this uh, relationship I had with my father and how my mother's um, love for me, our, the very singularity of our relationship, informed that. So, uh, yes, of course. The answer is yes. Well, uh, how your parents love you and treat you how they raise you and define you uh, has everything to do with how you uh, choose who you're going to love, how you're going to love them, I think. Uh, but it's not until we get older, I don't know if you share this with me, Virginia, or not, that we get it, that everybody should be forgiven, that we're all guilty of the same thing, which is being little and small and narrow within a very limited time frame ladies and gentlemen. So the sooner you can get to forgiveness, the better. <clears throat> That's pretty powerful and spoken by one who knows. And I think that uh, that's <sighs> honesty. That is what this book is. It's honest. It's brave. It's a beautiful uh, look at your life, your family's life, your relationship with them, how you are shaped by the people, the two most important people in your life. Um, at the end of the book, you end with your mother's mass, and the end of the book says, go in peace. Are you at peace? Did this writing of this book help you understand them, help with the pr grieving process, and help to understand them better? How are you? The answer to that is yes. But I would not say it was cathartic. Yeah. I would not confuse those two. It's very slow and nuanced, the effect the writing of it has had on me. In the writing, I didn't, I knew that there would be repercussions, but how they are implementing themselves is, how they are, are happening to me is, is, is a surprise to me. And I will say to you, because I like you so much, and I, actually, I think you're such, you, you, you understand me on many levels. I will say that this writing, it has freed me up. Now, I know that a couple of my siblings are, are, are um, unsettled by it. And I hope that they will forgive me. But um, I had to do it. And I am increasingly experiencing a, 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 a liberation and happiness. In the last month alone, I have remarked to myself, walking down the streets of New York, talking to myself like everybody else, I'm happy. I'm, I'm so happy. I'm happy. I mean, whether or not it's a byproduct of this book, it can't be other than it's very significant that I wrote it when I did, mm -hmm. and that I am feeling this way. So, yes, I got to revisit them, Virginia. In a way, it was a little, almost better than sitting in front of that fire. Because your imagination is a potent, potent thing. And I got to see them. And you know, when you write, you dream. And they came to me in my dreams. So I, I had a lot of time with them throughout the course of this writing. And I hope they will continue to visit me in my dreams. Your mother, when she reads a good book, and she kisses it at the end. She, she does. And you say to her, good book, and what does she say? Divine or absolute heaven. And then she thought she was hiding it under the telephone. Oh <laughs> I love her. <laughs> well, this book is absolute heaven. It is beautiful, and I encourage you all to read this book. Do yourselves a favor. Give yourself the gift of how to forget. You will meet people in this book who are truly unforgettable. Thank you for sharing your parents with us. Thank you for sharing this intimate, beautiful story with us and for writing it so gorgeously. And Virginia, thank you. You've been wonderful. Well, thank you very much. It's my honor. This is How to Forget by Kate Mulgrew.
going on sale in May. And uh, please read this book. Thank you, Kate. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you.